Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture, Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13. If you would like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 499. Psalm 96, beginning with verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. Psalm 96 is, on its surface, a remarkably upbeat psalm from beginning to end. It's full of happiness. It starts off with rejoice and joy, ends with more rejoicing and joy. It's kind of unrelenting happiness. And, uh, and, and it's remarkable in it because so many of the psalms actually uh, take you through a whole variety of emotions. And uh, this one, it starts off high, stays high, and ends high. And so as we read through the psalm together and study it together this morning, would you pray with me as we uh, ask the Lord to open our hearts and illumine his word to us. So our gracious God and heavenly Father, we we come before you today because uh, one, you have commanded it. Two, it is our privilege. And uh, three, we pray that it is, in fact, our joy. And uh, so I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that you would take your word and do what you promised to do, and that is to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us, to encourage us, all for the sake and the glory of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we commit this time to you and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalm begins, as I mentioned, with, a, um, with happiness. 
And um, it, it calls us with a series of commands, actually, or I'll even say a series of summonses. <clears throat> it, actually, I'd look that one up. What's the plural of summons? It is, in fact, summonses. Um, so summonses. And uh, it begins with a whole series of, of not just summons, but these are, these are, all these verbs are located in there. So these calls to, uh, to, be, uh, to come before the king it, were to sing, were to rejoice, to ascribe splendor, majesty, glory, and strength, to worship, to be glad, to exult, to sing for joy. And so this morning, I'd like for us to look at three of the summonses, uh, that is to sing, to speak, and to rejoice. To sing of his salvation, to speak or scribe and declare, and to rejoice in his judgment. Sing of his salvation, actually speak of his glory, and rejoice in judgment. I mentioned that it's an astonishingly upbeat content in the psalm, but there's a problem here with this psalm, if you read it through it, and that is it doesn't completely describe things as they are. I mean, look at who and what is singing and worshiping. Verses 1, 11, and 12 say the people, the nations, the whole earth, the forest and the trees and all of creation. It doesn't really seem to match what's happening, does it? The nations are not rejoicing right now. People are rebelling. Nature is broken. There's cancer. There's heartache, crime, abuse, loneliness, war, mudslides, tsunamis, hurricanes, and famine. And then it ends with an odd sentence there in verses 11 through 13. All of creation is rejoicing. Why? Because the king is coming to judge. Now, how and why is that wonderful? So, how do we get from here, where we are in our world today, to there? How do we get from a place of brokenness to a place of glory? How do we get from the now but not yet to that day? <clears throat> well, first, we're summoned. We're called. It's a summons is an authoritative, I looked this up, is an authoritatively or urgently call or urgent call on someone to be present, especially as a defendant or witness in a court of law. And to some degree, that's precisely what it is. We have been authoritatively and urgently called to be present as a witness for what God has done. And we are, recalled, we are summoned or called to report before the king and give a series of his commands. Now, the context of this psalm, by the way, just so you know where, the, where this is coming from, is that David, as a part of a worship service in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. The chapters leading up in, in 1 Chronicles are simply that, uh, and you may, you may recall the story, the ark has been taken. The Philistines had taken the ark and had dragged it off. And now they had, they had an awful time with it. Uh, they <clears throat> did not have uh, a good, good experience with having, keeping the ark. But somewhere along the way, David goes to get the ark. And when he gets the ark, he's in a big hurry. He's very excited about this, but he's in a big hurry. He grabs the ark and he puts it on a cart. 
And he's chosen two oxen that have never pulled a cart before because he wants to show that this is purity and good. But this is not the way that God had described or prescribed how the ark was to be transported. So as he goes along, one of the oxen, predictably enough, stumbles. The ark begins to fall. Uzzah, remember his character, Uzzah reaches out to touch the ark and to protect it from hitting the ground with the assumption that the ground was less holy than he was. And he was wrong. God struck him dead. He judged him. David's very upset by this. They move the ark outside of the city where they keep the ark until such a time as they decide to bring the ark back into the city. And at that point, David follows all the rules because David realizes he was at fault for everything else that happened before. David follows all the rules. The, the, the priests carried the, the ark on the, on the staffs that they were, as, as they were supposed to. They were preceded by singing, followed by trumpets. The whole, the, all the things that are prescribed, they did. And so the ark comes into, into town with great rejoicing. And it is at this worship service, with, with the ark of the covenant, the idea that the very presence of God is now with the people. They've been saved from the Philistines. In fact, David has huge notoriety now amongst, amongst all of the nations surrounded because of the, the utter decim, uh, decimation he had for, uh, on, the, uh, on the Philistines. And now God has proven faithful. And they're going to rejoice. And so, he's, <clears throat> so he instructs the sons, I'm sorry, the brothers of Asaph to sing a song. Now you recall right after this worship service, just to keep it into context, right after this worship service, God comes to David and says, from this point, I'm making you a promise. I'm making you a covenantal promise that you're going to have a son, and this son, one of your sons, is going to rule forever. And he's going to have a throne and a kingdom that will never end. It's also seen in 2 Samuel 7, but it's stated here. Well, the psalm is listed in, in its entirety there in, in uh, First Chronicles, and we're given a portion of it here in Psalm 96. So then we're summoned. David says, you've got to sing. We've got to sing about this. So he says, sing. Well, the question I ask for you, then I have four questions on this, under this context of sing is, what sort of song are we supposed to sing? Who should sing this song? What's the subject of the song, and when should we sing it? Okay, what sort of song? Who should sing it? What's the subject, and when should we sing it? Well, first, we're told in verse one, sing a new song, and this pops up periodically in the scriptures, doesn't it? You see this? They sang a new song. This new song is sung. What's a new song? A song that maybe no one's ever thought of before. It's brand new, perhaps. No fair singing old hymns. We're supposed to sing new songs. Well, when the scriptures speak of new songs, they're not talking about novelty. They're talking about something that articulates something new that God has done. It's, a, it's an excellent song. It's the product of new affections, as Matthew Henry puts it. It's clothed with new expressions. We it's the, it's the newness of, the, of a song that, that recommends 
what it is that God has done because we expect something surprising. A new song is a song for new favors, for those compassions which are new every morning. We're told in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And so we sing a new song. A new song is a New Testament song. It's a song of praise for the new covenant and precious privileges of that covenant. A new song is a song that will never, ever fade away. It's an everlasting song, and it's never out of date. Who should sing this song, this new song, the song of glory? Let all the earth, we're told, sing this song. Not the Jews only, to whom prior was the service through which the service of God had been appointed, but the whole nation, a strange land. Let all the earth, all that are redeemed from the earth, learn and sing this new song. We're told we, this, this brings us to the, the picture that we have in Revelation 14. And uh, we're told, I heard a voice from heaven like a roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. This voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on the harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four, four living creatures and before elders. And here's a curious element. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. No one can sing the new song that we're talking about here except for the redeemed. If you have been redeemed, then you can sing a new song. If you've never been redeemed, if, you're not, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, if he hasn't given you a new heart, then you, there's, there's, there's no new song for you. It's a prophecy. It's calling, uh, calling the Gentiles that all the earth will have this new song put in their mouths and that both shall have cause and call to sing it. So what's the subject matter? Okay, we've got a new song. All the earth shall sing the song. The song is of his salvation. The great salvation which was to be wrought out, to be brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that must be shown forth as the cause and this joy of praise. And then how often should we sing it? Straightforwardly enough. Let the song be sung constantly. Not only in the times appointed, as, he, as we talk about in, in, in the Old Testament, as the, um, as the Jews would hear, not just the time for solemn feasts, but every single day, day to day, it's a subject matter that should never be exhausted. Let day under day, as again Matthew Henry puts it, utter this speech that under the influence of gospel devotions, we may daily exemplify a gospel conversation. Do you realize, by the way, you may not, <clears throat> that the Christian church and the Old Testament Jewish church is virtually the only religion that gathers together to sing? Muslims don't do it. Hindus don't do it. None of the others do it. The church gathers together to sing. We're to be a singing people because we have something that no one else has. We have something to sing about. 
We're summoned to sing. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to sing of his salvation and we're to be doing it constantly. I do know some who, by the way, who say, uh, I'm really not into music. <clears throat> no. Um, and I'm not a singer, so I'm not moved by music, particularly one way or the other. Uh, when I come to the worship service, I, I could just skip all the singing part and just let's just get right to the text. Well, uh, unfortunately, the Bible does seem to disagree um, that everyone can make a joyful noise, that God has wired us, wired us to sing. Now, you may think when you come to church, you may not like the music or one way or the other, but the idea that you would reject the idea that people are not wired to sing, um, I would encourage you to, to some point, um, visit Oktoberfest in Germany. Okay, a tent. Each of the, the beer tents have ten, over about 10,000 people in them, each tent. Okay, they're big. And there's a band playing. And they play all kinds of happy tunes and, and things because they want people to drink their beer. There is no experience quite like hearing 10,000 Germans singing Sweet Caroline <laughs> at the top of their lungs. Yeah, Sweet Caroline, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Okay? Every single one of them could swear they could sing. And actually, even if they don't, can't sing, they don't care because they're reveling in the moment. They're with 10,000 of their very best friends. Okay? 2014, the World Cup. <clears throat> Germany won the World Cup that year. And um, there was a song that came out. Uh, it was really popular at the time. It's the, in German, it's Ein Hoch auf uns. It's a toast to us. Um, and uh, you could see all the Germans raising their, their glasses as they were celebrating the win of World Cup and singing again, tears running down their faces, Ein Hoch auf uns, auf, auf dieses Leben, auf this, auf the, the, to this life that we have. They're unified, gathered together, unified as one people around the triumph. Now, this is a curious aside. Around the triumph of their team. They put their arms around each other, these 80 million some odd people, and said, we are world champions. Really? What did you do to contribute <laughs> to being world champions? You cheered, you watched television. But what did you do? But deep in their hearts, they recognize federal headship. They had a representative, and their representatives won. And because their representatives won, they received the benefits of what their representative did. And so, therefore, they sing. You and I, we have a federal head. We have Jesus Christ, and we didn't do anything. The only thing we have brought to the table is the need for a Savior. And we have one. 
And he's given us so great a salvation that our federal head, our representative, we say, look, we are redeemed. And so we sing a song. Sing it out of an overflow of our hearts. We say, ein hoch auf Jesus. Cheers to our Savior. If they're singing overflowing with joy, how much more so God's people. So we see again in Revelation 5, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Who is it that he's talking about? This ransomed people? Is it Israel, the nation of kingdoms and priests? Yeah, it's Israel. That's us. We are Israel. If you have experienced God's mercy and salvation, then sing. Keep singing about his salvation. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. These songs and hymns we've sung and heard for years, and if you're new to the church, the songs and hymns that you can learn. The prayers put to music. They remind us of who God is and what he's done. And they connect theological truth to our hearts and our emotions we think words, we feel music. The combination connects the two together in a remarkable way, the way God's designed us. We're summoned to sing, and we're summoned to speak. So we speak, and we declare. We declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, we have a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy. A story of peace and light. A story of peace and light. From verse 3 into the beginning of verse 9, there's a call to tell the whole world of the goodness and glory of God. Tell of his goodness. Tell of his marvelous works. Tell the nations that God is the creator. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Isaiah 42 says, Thus says the Lord, the Lord, says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Verse 8, <clears throat> I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This is a call to missions. This is the message that we're to declare to the nations. We worship a God who has done marvelous things. The Old Testament church might have sung about salvation from Egypt, about conquering the land, about the return of the Ark of the Covenant. What's the most marvelous thing that God has done? 
He saved his people. We sing, we sing about the incarnation. We sing about God taking on, on flesh. We sing about the advent. We're, we're about to begin advent series. We sing about it. The shepherd king laid down his life for his sheep. He came for the purpose of pursuing from, the, from birth onward to pursuing headlong straight to the cross. Humbly Christ, humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. <clears throat> and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Christ emptied himself and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This, this is what we are declaring. This is what we are ascribing to God. And when we are ascribing to him glory to his name, we're joining the elders and the creatures and the thousands upon thousands who are standing before the throne and crying out, worthy art thou. And it's not just Jews only. It's the nations The God has always, always wanted to reach and to bless. From the moment that God makes the promise to Abram there in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so you will be a blessing and bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing, this blessing that God is talking about to Abram is not Isaac. It's not Jacob. It's not David. It's Jesus. True Israel. The ultimate blessing to the nations. We are those nations, aren't we? We're the ones who need to be reminded that those idols that we cling to are, are worthless. Those idols that we're sure will care for us and give us control or worth. We think, well, I'm a modern person. That's a, idols, that's a very old thing. We don't do that. Um, Calvin cleverly uh, described the human heart as a factory of, uh, of idol making. Um, if I could just win the lottery, maybe. maybe. Money would fix all my problems. Now, I have to let you know, I was reading an article uh, the other day, and it was about a gentleman who had won a lottery, a massive lottery, and he has a podcast in which he interviews other people who have won lotteries. And there was a common theme discovered amongst all those who had won lotteries, is that winning a lottery simply magnifies who you are. If you're unhappy, you're unhappier. Now, it may help you with financial issues, but it doesn't change who you are. If you're lonely, you're just as lonely. Now you don't trust people, right? Because you don't know what they really want. Do they really want you for you or do they want you for your money? Are you greedy? You're greedier. Are you self-absorbed? Now you have the money to really be self-absorbed, right? It just makes you who you are. And we, you and I are sinful, broken people. And we have, this, we have these idols out there. We think this will fix it but it just makes us more of who we are. If I could have the latest tech gadget or car, probably the one that resonates most with us at this particular time of year, these, in this time, is, is that if I could have political power or control, right? 
if my party's in power, then all will be okay. I'll criticize, complain, and, and accuse the other side who wears the other insignia. They wear a different uniform from my group. I hate them. They're evil. I know because I can see into their hearts. I'll forget that I am first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. I will live in constant fear and hatred of the other group. Why? Because I have not yet truly grasped that the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. See, the nations, you and I, and all the nations need this good news. We need to be reminded that the Lamb ransomed a people for God, and he has made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Whether those people are across the street, across the nation, or around the world, we are to say among the nations and to ourselves, the Lord reigns. The church is to be a singing church. Church is to be a speaking and missions church. And the church is to be a rejoicing church, specifically in this psalm, one that rejoices in judgment. Rejoices in judgment. I mean, at first it's easy, isn't it, to be kind of carried along by the psalm. It, there's, a, there's a certain wave here, there's a certain sense of yayness about this psalm, right? And we're singing of his salvation. We're singing of his goodness. I sing of the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command. All the stars obey. It's great stuff. And we add to that, yes, he's going to judge the earth with equity. It's so wonderful, in fact, that all of creation, not just people, all of creation joins in the chorus. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Why? Psalmist continues. Why shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord? For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. Look, he even repeats it. For he comes. For he comes. It's like Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan's coming. He comes. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. But wait. Is that really something to sing about? I mean, on one hand, this is all what we yearn for, isn't it? When everything will be made right. When, I mean, right now creation isn't singing, it's groaning. Nature's broken, the world is broken, we feel it every single day. Death still sneaks into our lives and steals our children, our spouses, our friends, and our parents. People are abused, wars wipe out whole societies. Recently, a mudslide wiped out a whole village and evil triumphs. And we cry out for the day when the great judge will make it right. When the evildoer is forced to face the judge and give an account, and we rejoice when the God of all justice 
will do right. It's deep within us, isn't it? It's in, all of our, it's in all of our great stories. They're really good stories. Really good movies. Books. Justice is served. The bad guys get theirs. Those are the ones that are most satisfying to us. In fact, if a, if a movie ends and it's unresolved, well, we've watched the movie, but we're not going to watch it again. There's no satisfaction. But when there's justice, all the superhero movies, there's justice. These are the stories that point us to the ultimate story. But here's the problem, you see. On that day of judgment, all creation may be rejoicing. The trees will be rejoicing. The fields are rejoicing, and all that is in them are rejoicing. But will you? Will you be rejoicing? If the Lord is coming to judge the earth, and he will do so completely righteously, will you be able to stand on that day? Is the fact that Jesus, the one who first came as Savior, is now coming as judge, is that something for you to rejoice over? Or will we cry out like those in Revelation 6? Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave or free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? And the answer is no one. Only if you have embraced Jesus Christ in faith. And recognize that you have no hope apart from what Christ has done in his living the perfect life that you could not live, dying the death that you deserved, and rising again to accomplish your salvation, resting in him alone. Only then will you rejoice in this judgment. Only then will you join all of creation in joyful worship and sing a new song for all of eternity. And you'll point to your Savior and you say, I didn't do anything, but we're saved. Make no mistake about it, though. Every knee will bow, willingly or unwillingly. And every tongue will confess, willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The day is coming. When we'll be at that place, brokenness will become glory. Groaning will turn to rejoicing. But for those of you, the first part there was for, for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? You, you can't stand. The, this, the, last, the last verses are... <clears throat> encouraging in an abstract sort of way and maybe in, in an in a um, one that, that lacks self-examination sort of way, right? Because we always compare ourselves to those around us. 
actually not just anybody around us, those who are worse around us. And, right? and so we decide that I'm not as bad as they are, so bring on the judgment. We're excited about judgment, about people making right, because when anybody were a time we're offended, we want those people to be judged. But we realize that, wait a minute, he's going to judge everybody, and it's going to be righteous, and it's going to be based on the same standard, and no one can stand. And so, therefore, if you're not in Christ, those last verses are not happy verses. But if you are in Christ, they're exceedingly joyful and happy verses. But in the moment... For those of you who are followers of Christ, and as we live today in what I would describe as that unrealized expectation, those last verses are an expectation, but we haven't experienced them yet. Those of you who are at a place in your life where you know you should sing, you know you should be rejoicing. You read the psalm and you think, good for all of you who are excited about your walk with Christ. But right now, you're in that place that Isaiah 57 speaks of regarding God's comforting the contrite and lowly of spirit. And you know you're lowly of spirit. If not, perhaps, altogether contrite. William Cooper has written a lovely poem entitled Contrite Heart. And one of the wonderful things about William Cooper, who was a good friend of John Newton's, they lived in the area of Olney, England for many years, and um, he, was, he died in, at a, in uh, the beginning of in the year 1800, so he was there in the late 1700s. And uh, the wonderful thing about him is, is he's so very real. You know, he was institutionalized for a number of years for being insane. Um, and really wise, he was just horribly, horribly depressed. And struggled with it all the time. And he became very good friends with uh, John Newton. And John was a constant encouragement to him. But, um, and, and so to help him deal with some of these, uh, his struggles, he wrote poetry. And he, he, most specifically poetry about who God is and what he'd done. And, and yet he also wrote about his own heart. And um, he writes this. I sometimes think myself inclined to love thee if I could but often feel another mind averse to all that's good. My best desires are faint and few. I fain would strive for more, but, but when I cry, my strength anew seems weaker than before. Thy saints are comforted, I know, and love thy house of prayer. I therefore go where others go, but find no comfort there. Have you ever been there? Oh, make this heart rejoice or ache. Decide this doubt for me, and if it be not broken, break. And heal it, if it be. And so we sing. Sometimes through tears. Sometimes with joy. But we sing of his salvation and his mighty power. And we declare his glory and that he reigns. And if we're in Christ, we will join all of creation in rejoicing in his good and righteous judgment. May he make your heart rejoice or ache 
If it be not broken, break and heal it, if it be. As you worship the Lamb who was slain and who has given us so great a salvation, sing. Sing a new song for the glory of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Father, we declare your glory among the nations and we declare it in our own hearts over and over again. You are, glo- you are full of glory and we're to worship the Lord, you in the splendor of holiness. And we need to be reminded that you reign. So Father, draw near to us as we draw near to you. Point us again to our Savior, Shepherd King, who left his throne of glory and did not see his deity and all of the trappings of deity, something to be clung to, but instead humbled himself, taking on the form of a person, of a human, and a servant, and was obedient to death. Work in our hearts, Lord. Draw us close to you. Make us a singing people, a missions people, and a rejoicing people for the sake of our Savior. Amen.